You are listening to the sermon series, Follow. In this sermon, Pastor Dan Chung examines the gospel according to Luke, the identity of Jesus, and the cost of discipleship. The following is a presentation of LifeLight Church in San Francisco. For more information and other audio content, please visit LifeLightChurch.org. Let's go ahead and dive in. Um, today, we're continuing the chapter 20, the later part of chapter 20 in Luke. And uh, who remembers what we talked about last week? Last Sunday was, uh, Larry obviously don't, but last week was about Jesus being challenged and was talking about his authority. Great. Yeah. And uh, now he's, Jesus is out there, he's teaching and preaching in the temple, and uh, we see what Luke is doing is he's having Jesus face two double audience. He's got two different types of audience. One is people, right? One is people who is among him, who is very, he's very popular among him, among people. And the other one are the, the religious leaders, um, the high priests, and not only just Pharisees, but more group, more stronger, more higher authority, higher, more powerful people, which he managed to upset them greatly uh, from what we had, what we learned from last, last Sunday. So what we're seeing is there's two different groups. The priest wants to get at Jesus, but people are popular, so they're having a hard time doing it openly, but their really aim is to get at Jesus and get Jesus, you know, the accused um, so they ultimately, we know what happened. They, they would send Jesus to the cross. Uh, they can't do that as a religious crime because that would do nothing but just bring them into the religious group. But what they want to do is they want to lead Jesus to be accused of treason so that Jesus will ultimately be accused and punished by Roman Empire. And therefore, which is the highest punishment would be the, the cross, crucifixion. But they can do that because of people, because he's so popular. Um, so... It's kind of like they're trying to get at Jesus, but they can't open it, so they're trying to work sideways. It's like the movies that we watch. You know, it's you know we watch where the government is upset about somebody, they can't get at them openly, so they send spies, and they send other people like Jason Bourne, right? Jason Bourne, I love that movie. Um, or other you know politically implicated movies, they do that. They try to do it in other ways, right? So that's what's going on. But this is all happening with Jesus interacting being challenged by the priests, and he's being asked questions. So altogether, there are four questions that Jesus is being asked. The first one, question number one, is what we talked about last week. You have it on your thing in the back, the number of questions. First one was the question of authority that Jesus was faced. And this all happened when Jesus entered the Jerusalem, declaring to be the Messiah, the King, uh, with the people coming along, and he did his little cleanup at the temple, uh, which caused the question, what gives you the authority? And Jesus said, well, what do you say about the John the Baptist? If you believe in John the Baptist, then you know that I have this authority, or do you not, which they couldn't answer. And Jesus went on to tell the parable about the uh, the tenants of the farmers who ultimately, after the, the owner sent servants after servants and servants, sent the son, and son was killed, um, uh, killed and thrown out, right? Rejected and thrown out. The second question is this uh, question about tribute to Caesar. Uh, how do you handle the government? You know, what do we do? Do we give taxes to Caesar or not? 
Is it, isn't it better for us to follow God's law or the law of the world, world uh, law of the empire? The third question is being asked about the resurrection. Seducees will ask Jesus about, do you believe in resurrection? How do you explain this? The fourth question is not the question asked, but it's the question that Jesus asked to others. And that is, how do you explain that David, the King David, who Jesus is the descendant, but is claimed by David as the Lord? Because if you're down in the generation, you're supposed to be not a higher but lower than the person who is, you know, your ancestry. So how do you explain that, Jesus, that David called his descendant Lord as his Lord? How do you explain that? So that's a question that Jesus asked, which is basically meaning, who is the Messiah? So what these four questions do, which we're going to go through three of them, we went through number one, it's basically telling, the, Luke is telling us the whole story of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus. He came, the authority, from the baptism, John the Baptist, Right? And why he's here. He's been sent by the Father as a son to be rejected and to be killed. Uh, and he's being handed, handed over to the Romans. It talks about the tribute to Caesars. Right? It talks about resurrection. He's handed over, but ultimately Jesus is resurrected and forth because that's the work of the Messiah. So all four questions as we engage with them basically tells the story of Jesus. And explains what he's doing. Why is he in Jerusalem? What is he doing? What is life about? So, you may not be as exciting as I am about all of that. But, um, that's what we are engaged in. And let's go ahead and read our text. And we'll begin. So, we are reading from verse 20 to verse 44. I read one verse. And uh, you can look with somebody else, Larry. And uh, you can read the next one. Verse 20. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be honest in order to trap him by what he said, so as to hand him over to the uh, jurisdiction and authority of the governor. So they asked him, Teacher, we know that you are right and what you say and teach, and you show the difference to no one, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But he pursued their practice and said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose head and whose title does it bear? They said, the emperor's. And they were, not able in, they were not able in the presence of the people to trap him by what he said. And being amazed by his answer, they became silent. And asked him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us, that if a man bro- man's brother dies, leaving a wife but no children, the man shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Then the second. Finally, the woman also died. In the Jesus said to them, Those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are Indeed, they cannot die anymore because they are like angels and are children of God, being children of the resurrection. the 
Now he is God, not of the dead, but of the living. For to him all of them are alive. For they no longer dare to ask him another question. For David himself says in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand. David does calls him Lord, so how can he be his son? The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, we pray that through these questions that we engage, you give our minds um, wisdom to understand, knowledge to understand who you are. By your spirit, they will be convicted and will set our lives to live according, accepting and declaring that you are the Lord above all things. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Questions and questions and questions. You know, what's important in life is finding out questions, uh, asking right questions. As you grow more knowledgeable, it's not the answers you hold, right? Because there will never be enough answers for you to hold, but it's the way and your ability to ask better questions and right questions, right? There are stupid questions. <laughs> and as your knowledge, as you more learn more, you move on to ask the better questions. And some of the questions that are being asked here are, you know, sort of, you know, foolish, uh, and it's so mocking, but yet the questions give us insight into what Jesus is trying to teach and what Luke is trying to uh, reveal to us about who Jesus is, right? So the second question that we deal with is, uh, starts in verse 20, says, so they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be honest in order to trap him by what he said as to hand him over to the jurisdiction and authority of the governor. This is, uh, this is what's going to be happening until... Jesus actually gets trapped, right? Jesus actually gets tra- trapped, not because he lacked anything, but because that's what he came to do voluntarily. And we're going to see that as we progress in, in, this, in the gospel, right? Um, and what's interesting is they can't do it themselves. Now they're sending spies because they've been exposed. The previous question exposed them who, who, who they are, where Jesus openly declared that they are the, the terrible tenants, who is going to kill and reject the son. So they've been exposed. They can do it, so they send spies who pretended to be honest. Which is pretty funny, right? Um, uh, they come up with a, with a question to trap Jesus. And here's, you got to sort of visualize what's happening here. The high priest, and they're all gathered around. Oh, we got to trap Jesus, but we can't go ourselves. So what do we do? Let's send somebody else who can pretend it to be good, but ask Jesus a question that would incriminate him so that he will be we can go ahead and arrest him and hand him over to the Roman government the governor so they talk about it and they come up with the best one and it really is a clever one right it's a question where Jesus will have no answer if he answers one way he'll get convicted if he answers the other way he'll be also guilty of other things Um, so the question really is about well do you give uh, taxes? Is it right? Is it lawful to give taxes to Caesars? Or not? Because he says no, then he becomes a, a revolutionary, um, which would engage in revolt, right? Which would be against, which would be treason to Romans. If he says no, it's not lawful, um, or if he says yes, it is lawful, then he becomes not so much of Jews. So he will lose the crowd that he's, uh, that so, you know, so much favors him. So, there's two ways to go about. Neither are good. 
Right? So they really do have a really good answer. And they have Jesus on the spot. And they're asking. But Jesus reverses the spotlight. And he goes, well, show me the coin. And you can sort of visualize, they're going, what coins? What the coin that you just mentioned? Like, I don't have them. I don't carry those. Right? So Jesus reversed the spotlights and convicts them, saying, well, show me the coins that you hold. So they bring out the coin and look at the coin. And this is a denarius, which is the uh, coin of the Roman Empire, which you are required to give to taxes. You got to give your taxes in that coin. There are other types of coins at this time. There are as far as in the Jewish coin, there's Tyrian, and there's Greek coins. There were a number of different coins that you worked around. The best one, obviously, is Daenerys because of the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine, people held several different types of coins. It's like, in here, you have like Filipino pesos, and you know Mexican pesos, and dollars, and Korean money, and Canadian dollars. Right? Yeah, right? So you, it's like you are holding different types of money and trying to figure out which one's the best to use at what time, right? What, at what point. Um, so he said, well, show me. And they show it, and there's a picture of empire. Uh, gosh, I forget which empire's picture is on it. And uh, so they reveal it, and Jesus says, well, then, picture's right there, his name's on it, give it to Caesar, what belongs to him, and give it to God, what is God's. So it's really a crafty answer. Right? And a lot of people, wow, that's a very, very good answer. He avoided going either way, and he gave the right answer. So they failed, obviously. And verse 26 says, they're, they're being amazed by his answer. They became silent. So they went away. Question number three is asked by seducers, and it talks about resurrection. And this is the only discussion on resurrection in the Gospels. So it's a question that we so... We're so curious about what happens. What's resurrection going to be like? What are we going to be like when we are resurrected? This is the only part. So it's an important part for us to go through. We won't really dive a whole lot into that. Um, but here's a Jewish thought on resurrection. Jewish thought on resurrection is, resurrection is basically the story of Israel continuing on. And we know the story from Exodus, from going into the land of promise, and kings, and all of that. It'll come to it where we will have a Messiah, and the story will continue on where all the dead people in the history of uh, Israel, Moses and Abraham, they all rise again, and every wrong, all the wrongs will be undone, and we will be an empire forever living. So it's not like our thoughts of resurrection that there's an afterlife. Their, their uh, understanding is, this is our nation, story of our nation, continuing on. At least that's what Pharisees and other, uh, the priests, believe, believed in. But these guys called Sadducees, because there are several sects in the temple, and Sadducees are one of the top three. And they, uh, they're wealthy, they're powerful. Uh, but one thing really distinguished them from others is they did not believe in resurrection. So they're against Pharisees. So they tell Jesus this story, which is actually a well-known story. They're taking it from... Uh, the Jewish book called the uh, Book of Tobit, and uh, this is a story about jealous demon um, named Asmodeus killed a, a woman named Sarah because he loved her uh, and killed seven husbands of Sarah, um, seven brothers. So this is basically he's they're telling Jesus the story that everyone knows, and they're kind of mocking Jesus. Look at this silly story. How can this story, you know, reflecting on this story, resurrection be true? 
So again, this question, they're trying to trap Jesus. They're trying to mock. They're trying to bait. They're not looking for answers. Right? Just like the Pharisees, the high priests, they ask the question. The spies, they ask questions. They're not looking for answers. They're just trying to trap Jesus. Because they're in their mind, everything sells. So Jesus answers. And he answers in two different ways. He says, number one, resurrection in life, resurrected life, will not be the same as the life of the present. There, it will be different. right? But we have to be careful. Not that it won't be a bodily resurrection, but it will just be different. We won't be doing the things that we do today, like getting married, having children. Like having children will be pointless. Why? Because we won't die. It will be eternal, right? You don't need to procreate when we are eternal. So, you see, these lives, think that the things we do on earth, in this life, will be different as we think of a resurrected life. Um, secondly, <clears throat> seducers are very conservative. And what they believe, they believe only the five first books in the Bible, the Old Testament. The five, four, five books are called Book of Moses, or otherwise, Torah, Pentateuch, right? Those five books, they only believe these five books are the only ones with authority, right? So Jesus, which is funny, they come up and ask you, Jesus, Moses said, blah, 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 because that's what they believe in as authoritative. And Jesus replies back on the second time, and Moses wrote this. So they go back, Jesus refer back to what they believe to authoritative, and talks about how Moses talked about Revealed about resurrection. And it's a great answer, too. Again, reveals how could God be God of the dead? If God is God of Abraham and God of Isaac and God of Jacob. Some of you saw this thing and you completely ignore me. Well, not exactly, but, you know, God of Chabum. I talked about Korea soccer. Um, that verse is the same verse um, being used, right? God of these people who are dead, but they're yet alive in God's presence. Because God is not God of dead, but God of living. Uh, it's not whole lot. It's not revealed a whole lot about what our resurrected life is going to be. Um, it's not given a lot of answers to as we because we want to know what well, what are we going to be like? Are we going to be have like spirits? But one of the things that we have received in our culture that snatkin is this spiritual form of life that comes in eternal life that we are some kind of a being. That is spiritual. But what we know through knowing Jesus and resurrection of Jesus is that our resurrection is bodily. There is a body, not just spirit. It's not like we're ghosts floating around. We are you know, bodily, we're human, we're being with body. That's what we know, and we know that things will be different. We don't know what we remember, how it will be, if we're going to be together with the family or not, who's going to be, or we're going to be able to recognize other people and friends. Any of that, we don't know. But we do know. When you die, what happens to you? If you're going to heaven or hell, but if you are, go to heaven, what happens to you? You meet God. You meet God, right? You're with God right away. And that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, but it, he's not saying that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob are, have resurrected, because that doesn't happen until Jesus comes back. Um, and, and we'll be in the form of Jesus' resurrected body. But you are with God. Some way, somehow, we don't know. And one of the most clear 
conviction of that comes when Jesus said on the cross to the thief next to him, what did he say at the end? Anybody? What did Jesus say to thief on the cross? Yeah, on this day. Jesus doesn't say, after you have served in purgatory and been there for, you know, what is it? 70,000 years, is it? He doesn't say, he said, on this day, you'll be with me in paradise. So we know that it's immediate. Once we close our eyes, when we open it back again, we are in the presence of God. All the songs that we sang, the first song, when we see God face to face. So, Jesus answers their question, and he answers with two types. He answers with reason, and he answers with scripture. Something that we can learn, right? When we're asked a question by people who's trying to trap us, who's trying to figure out, find a hole in our answers, we need to know, to understand, to answer by reasons, and answer refer to scripture, right? And Jesus does that. Verse 39 says, Then some of the scribes, Pharisees, obviously answered, Teacher, you have spoken well. Jesus has a cheerleaders here. Which is funny, Pharisees who are constantly against Jesus, now at this time, enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? So they go, Jesus, you've done really well. Thank you, right? Which I find it funny. Okay, next question. <clears throat> Verse 41, Then he, uh, he said to them, How can they say that the Messiah is David's son? This is a rare question asked by Jesus. Jesus' answers usually doesn't really ask questions. There's one of the few. And here's, a, what, here's what he's getting at. He's asking this question because of failed understanding there are still existing, which we talked about over and over, among the Israelites, right? They're saying their understanding of Messiah, the David's son, is going to be someone who is actually the descendant of David, a human being, a person, a um, who's going to be like their human king, going out and fighting their battles, conquering and ruling and setting justice like a human king. That's their understanding of it. And the whole issue of, well, is it going to be human? Is it going to be uh, God? Many times we misunderstand, and there are heresies that comes about that, And because what we try to understand is, how can God come down and be in this human form? So we either complete, well, completely shrink God to this human form, that he's no longer God, but human, or we make it so that he's half human and half God, but the understanding that we're going to learn, and we learn constantly in the New Testament, is that God is fully, what? Human. Fully human and? Fully God. Fully God. <laughs> Jesus is fully human and fully God. And, uh, what Jesus is trying to say here is that you are misunderstanding the idea and understanding of who Messiah is so much bigger than you realize. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to apply their understanding of all the prophets, prophets and, and the Old Testament to apply, does this title, does this, does this you know, form, term, fits you? Where Jesus is coming and saying, I'm not here to fit any of the titles, any of the terms that you have designated for Messiah. I am declaring to you what titles and terms should be made for me. Because Jesus didn't come to fit into a form or fit into a role. Jesus came to declare what roles and titles should be named by who he is. 
And basically who he is and messiahship is basically what he's doing in Jerusalem. So, we had four answers. Jesus answered them really well. Crafty answers and we see that no one can beat Jesus in argument. He's got real great debate skills. And uh, we can walk away thinking, wow, Jesus is really good at debating. Really good answers. I wish I can answer like Jesus. You know, have, you know, the be able to give really smart answers. But that's not what it's about. It's not about Jesus giving crafty answers and showing his debating skills, but it's about his answers. Because when Luke wrote this, he wrote it so that Jesus' answer would give answer to what the church is struggling with and give guidance to the church. And it affects it affects us too. Either Jesus' answer will guide us and give us answer to what we what we struggle with. Because, same thing as the number two question we ask, Jesus is Lord, we declare it, but yet, we live in the world ruled by others, in the government system, right? So, what we believe, what we learn, cannot just be theories, but it also needs to be practical. And the theory that we need to apply to, practicality of it. That's why one thing we say all the time, we learn, but what do we have to talk about? We have to talk about how do we respond to it. Every time we read a scripture, we need to ask ourselves, how, how am I going to respond? How are we going to respond to what we have just read, what we have just been taught? And what's clear, I think, and what we struggle at the same time is this issue of there's a church and there's a state, <clears throat> right? There's Christianity and there's politics. How do we balance the two? What do we do with these two, right? Because we got to face this question sooner or later and we do it all the time. We need to set our priorities straight. So what do we do? Do we make a list of things to do? Here's what I do for God. Here's what I do for the world. What do we do? So the real question for us, as we engage uh, the text today, is what does it mean today for us to give to God what belongs to Him? And to give to Caesars what belongs to Caesars? What does it mean? One of the suggestions maybe, well, let's list it out. Let's make a list. Here's what we do. Here's what we not do. Or maybe in many religious organizations would say, well, let's make rules. No dancing. No going to movies. No drinking. <clears throat> we walked away from that, our church, right? Uh, well, not except the last part. Um, so do we set laws and rules so that people would follow this? So we give to God what belongs to God and give to Caesars what belongs to Caesars. So one thing that, first thing that we need to understand as we engage this, what does it mean to give to God what is God's today is there are no perfect process or guidelines. There isn't. We cannot put enough rules and guidelines so that we would follow exactly to give to God what belongs to God and give to Caesar what belongs to Caesars. Because what worked in the past may not work. And things are always changing. There's different circumstances. There's relationships involved. All these sensitive issues that we talk about, whether it's, you know, this weekend, gay pride or abortion or, ex you know, what is it? The execution thingy. Corporal punishment. Yeah, corporal huh? punishment. Corporal punishment. Um, all of the issues. We, there is a guideline. There is a specific rule we can set and know. This is what side that we take. So secondly, what we need to decide is, do we follow laws? Do we 
stick to the laws or do we stick to people? Do we love the laws or love people? And uh, the fall of the religion and the church sometimes is that we stick so much to the laws, right? And the rules. Just like sometimes, it's not just church, it's government too. Any kind of religious organization sometimes stick to the laws instead of sticking to people and loving people. Loving the laws instead of loving people. Like we see this in the movies, right? The the civilian casualties and, well, we need to follow. We need to make sure this gets done. And in following the laws and following the rules, we forego the people, loving people. So which means, who do we have to love first? Who do we put first? People, right? We love God, will come, which will come, but we have to love people. We have to consider people. Third, the choice is between do we choose the world or do we choose God? And when we do that, we try to figure out, well, who gets the priority? Do we choose God first and then we choose the world? And I think if we talk about priority, prioritizing, it gets too easy. Uh, well, not so easy, but it's an easy answer to it, which we aren't able to really uh, um, apply in making choices. So, these things, we understand theoretically, but how do we lead it, understand, so that we're making decisions, we're in res- responding? Can we, what do we choose between the world and God? Or could we choose both? Why can't we choose both? Can we choose both? And kind of compartmentalize Here's what I do in the world. Here's what I do at church. Like double life. Living a double life. And I will tell you, I was an expert in living double life. Um, in my 20s, when I really wasn't captured by God, when I wasn't really loving God, in a relationship with God, but was going to church. And many people who's grown up at church do this. They live double life. They're a completely different person when they're outside and they're a different person when they're in church. So what do we do? Can we choose both and live this for God, and give this for the world. Who's done this? All have, right? We all have. And I think we still do struggle to do it. This is what I do in my life. This is how the decisions I make based on the world, the understanding and knowledge and expectations. This is what I do according to God in the way that I love God and love people. We separate them. And we do... Double, we have double standards. We have double, we make decisions differently. But what's interesting about double life, and you know, outside of church, people live double life all the time, right? In different, I, this is life I live with my fa- families, I'm, you know, with my parents. This is how I behave with my parents. This is how I behave with my friends, right? This is me at work. This is me with my friends. People do all the time. But what's interesting about double life or triple life, quadruple, or whatever, is that it's done to please people. I'm doing this, I'm behaving this way so I can please and meet the expectation of these people, and I'm acting this way so that I can meet the expectation of these people. It's all done to please people. So it's not about how to engage with rules and laws, but who to love first and foremost. And it's a question about who has your heart. Or who do you live to please? If you're living to please God, who is present at all times, and what we have learned from the, the question number three is that God is alive. God is a living God who is present at all times. Then who do we please first and foremost and all the time? Is God. 
And that's basically what Israel has failed. And that's what Jesus is accusing them about their failure. That you are following these rules to please the government, please people, and you have failed to please God. You have failed to give to God what belongs to God, which is the worship, prayer, devotion, and sacrifice. That's what you're failing. And you're supposed to be, li be living as a nation that represents who God is, but you have failed to do that. You have not lived your life giving to God what is God's. The same thing for us. Jesus is asking in the question of how do we give to God what belongs to God? And really, the simplest question, the ultimate question is what? Uh, the answer, ultimate answer is what? It's everything, right? We give to God what belongs to God, and God desires us sacrifice. The sacrifice as us as a whole. It's a matter of who has your heart, who do you live to please. And as we struggle with that, our lives change. Uh, how old are you today? 23. 23. Ken's 23. <clears throat> I have turned, happy birthday, <laughs> I have legally turned 40 this Friday. So it was my birthday. My friend said, hey, let's go celebrate your birthday. I have two different birthdays, just so you know. <laughs> I want to explain how complicated that is, but Friday was my legal birthday, right? So my friend took out, so I said, let's go out, you know, celebrate your birthday. So I told Esther, hey, I'm going to go out, I'm going to eat. Um, and I joked to Esther, we're going to go eat, go to bars, bar hops, and go to these places and different places. I'll be home very late, get a tattoo or whatever, right? Um, so uh, we went, and I have to tell you, when I, in my 20s, when I went with the same friend on my birthday to celebrate, uh, I did things that are kind of like that, bar hopped, clubbing, and whatnot, and we ended up. You know, one of us getting arrested and, you know, <laughs> picking somebody up. The night lasting until like 7 a.m. with issues and tragedies and all of that. That was a birthday party with these friends. Right? Same friends. I told them, we're going to go out celebrate my birthday. So what I did on, you know, this Friday was my friend and I, we went out. Had a shabu shabu, right? And uh, when we're done, we went to a dessert place. And when we're done with the dessert place, Hong Kong, the one in Terravel, it was pretty good, by the way. <laughs> when we're done with the dessert, we said, well, let's go for another dessert. <laughs> so we dessert hopped to different places, went to Irving, and uh, we went around in different dessert places, and we still had time, and my buddy's like, I don't want to go home, it's like 9.30. <laughs> so what do we do? So we're like, well, let's go watch a movie. So we went and watched a movie, we came up like it too, but... Same time frame, right? You know, late in the morning or 2 o'clock. Really different. And that's kind of what happens. Your values change. Your heart changes. Who you care for, who you love, who you live to please, changes. And you're, in, the, in my young age, it was all about me. Having fun, getting what I want. Now, it's about thinking about family. What is godly? How do, how do I please the people that I love and please God? What do I do so that I take care of my responsibilities? And it's not the same. It's different because of who I love and who I live to please. Dedicating my life, my whole, to God. So it's not to choose between the world and God. We live in a world. What we do is our life in the world, we give to God. It's not to choose, but it's also to give the world to God. It's to lift that up, lift our lives. It's... We have to do 
necessary things like paying taxes. We pay tax a lot. Uh, we pay tax, follow the rules, follow the traffic laws, you know, we go to vote and all of that. We do all of that, but in everything that we do in this world, in the government, in Caesar's rules, we can even offer that to God when we offer our whole to God as a living sacrifice. So what we do is we do it all for the sake of the Lord. And because God is a living God, I want you to take that with you. What an awesome word. God is, our God is not God of the dead, but God of the living. And because God is God of the living, everything that we do for the sake of the Lord carries over for eternity. And uh, I think that one of the mistakes that people make, even among believers, is that we have this life and then we have the next life. And somehow they're separated. But according to the Word of God and according to what we learn from the Bible, it's not. We close our eyes and we wake up. It's the same life, same God. In the, for us, in the presence of God at the same time. Everything we do, the offerings that we make and sacrifices we make, carries over for eternity. So it matters. It matters what we do, the decisions we make, the sacrifices we make, and the life that we live to please God. Resurrection, and because of resurrection, and resurrection matters because of Jesus. And, you know, in the Bible, the New Testament, the church, early church, talk a lot about resurrection. Uh, and people in the world may talk about resurrection, but there is no resurrection without the resurrection of Jesus. There is no eternity without the sacrifice that Jesus has made. We follow Jesus in a way that we follow Jesus the way that he has offered himself completely as living sacrifice to God. And that's what we're called to do, to give completely. And he has done that. And the beauty that we find as we celebrate the bread and the cup is God has taken what is best of Caesar's, which is a crucifixion. He has used Caesar's best weapon to give us salvation. He uses what is of the world for his sake, for his glory. And Jesus has done that, God has done that, and he calls us to do the same. So the question that I want you to struggle is, what does it mean for you to give to God what is God and to give to God what you hold in the world at the same time too? Let me pray, and we'll pray the bread, uh, break the bread. Jesus, we pray that you'll give us wisdom, you'll give us conviction, you'll give us courage to offer um, all that we are to you, while it's confusing to how to make decisions, how to live according to the world, that our hearts will be after you. So everything we do will be because we love you and because we love people. We can't do it without you. We can only do it. We can surely do it. We can only do it. We can only do it. We can
This concludes our presentation. For more information and other audio content, please visit lifelightchurch.org.